Welcome to the British Sports Car Podcast. Join me, Sarah, and Nick, our resident sports car expert, as we bring you all the latest news from the top tiers of British motorsport, including British GT, GT Cup and Brick Car, as well as British motorsport interests from around the world. Hello and welcome to the British Sports Car Podcast, Season 2, Episode 5. The latest episode, the second May episode, we don't quite know what to call this one. <laughs> but, welcome anyway. I'm Nick, I'm not your host. Sarah is your host, but you're about to hear quite a bit of her as we get straight to it. And Sarah's going to cover what's happened in GT Cup recently. Well, I'm going to give it a good try anyway. But out of the two of us, I'm the one that's actually watched... The last race, or should I say the last four races, um, as I had a bit of time. And we did want to include it in the last episode, but if you listened, it was a bit of a monster. Uh, and, well, we didn't really want to put something out that was over two hours. So uh, it is a little bit delayed. But here are my thoughts on GT Cup. GT Cup News. So GT Cup, we've now had eight races through the season, with the first four being contested at Donington Park mid-April and at the very end of April, beginning of May, as it straddled the month end, uh, we had four races taking place at Brands Hatch with GT Cup forming part of the support package for GT World Challenge Europe. Uh, we have four races per weekend, two sprint and two pit stop, one per day. So at Brands, we had 41 cars in total entered across five classes. Now, you'll be pleased to know that I won't be going through each class individually in detail for every race. I am very much giving you the highlights package of the action. Donington Park back in April had seen different overall winners per race. Um, did wonder, are we going to see the same again? It wasn't to be, but we did have a mix of winners. So let's start with race one, which was a 25-minute sprint race. And that saw a safety car start uh, being led by Morgan Tilbrook of Enduro Motorsport in the number 66. Uh, McLaren and the battle for the front was very much between them and Steve Burgess in the Radical RXC number seven for Raw Motorsport. And that battle went on pretty much lights to flag. We had a couple of lead changes throughout, but the Radical eventually took the inside line, becoming the overall winner of that race. So Steve Burgess in the Radical RXC number seven took the overall win and GTO class. In GTC, it was Lucky Kira uh, with the Ferrari 488 Challenge for Race Lab. GTH uh, was won by Matty Graham in the Beluga Racing Carrera Cup Porsche, number 51. And Saxon Motorsport took the GTB win with Tom Barrow. So next up was the pit stop race, which is a 50-minute endurance race with a mandatory pit stop. 
Um, and that saw Simon Orange of the eponymous Orange Racing, powered by JMH on pole with the number seven Radical RXC. Enduro Motorsport number 66, Andy and Loggies ran racing Mercedes, all vying for a look in at the front. That battle continued up towards uh, the pit stop. Now, Ian Loggie is a solo driver in GT Cup, so he had an advantage going in there and came out in the lead. It didn't take too long for Michael O'Brien uh, to take both the inside line and the lead for Orange Motorsport, having swapped over with Simon Orange. And this continued right to the end and gave us our first double overall win of the season. GTO went to Raw Motorsport in the Radical RXC again. GTC-wise, uh, we had a win for Warren Gilbert and Jensen Lund with the Top Cats Racing with Hex.com Lamborghini Huracan. And the Veluga Racing uh, number 50 of James Wallace and Sam Mayer-Luffnan in GTH class. And we had Jeff Steele Racing and Sam Allpass taking the spoils in GTB in their BMW. Moving on to Sunday. Again, starting off with the sprint race. Uh, this race included quite a long safety car period um, as there was a car stranded on GP loop and it took a really long time to recover it. Uh, but once racing did get underway, this became very much a battle between Enduro Motorsport and Orange Motorsport. We had some really good defensive driving from Morgan Tilbrook, who managed to keep himself just out of reach of Simon Orange in the number 67 McLaren 720S uh, to take the overall win. Orange was putting up a great fight and there was a smidge where it looked like he might just make it. Uh, just towards the end of the race, but unfortunately not. Now, Raw Motorsport again took the win in GTO with Ben Dimmock in the Radical RXC this time and Lucky Kara taking the GTC class in his Ferrari 488 Challenge for Race Lab. GTH, Veluga Racing again took the class win with James Wallace just holding off the sister car for a 1-2 there. And then Tom Barrow, again, in the Saxon Motorsport BMW, took GTB honours. Finally, we had the pit stop race for Sunday and tyre choice proved to be really important here because rain came into play for the last race of the weekend. We had a lot of teams opting to start on wet tyres but they found themselves having to make additional stops as the conditions changed from wet to very rapidly drying. This included the early race leader, Simon Orange, who found himself slipping further and further back as one John Dillon came to the fore in the number 61 Scott Sport Lamborghini Hurricane with only one other car on the lead lap going into the pit stops. So it, it was a really important decision. Second part of the race, we had a number of cars that unlapped themselves. Um, however, John Dillon had handed over to teammate Andrea Amici, who kept his head down and brought the Lamborghini home for the overall win. And this was their first win of the season. 
they took GT3 honours. And GTC-wise, we had uh, Lucky Kira again with David McDonald in the Race Lab Ferrari 488 Challenge. GTH, we had another new winner as Mark Hopton and Ewan Hankey of Greystone GT took the honours in their McLaren 570. And in GTB, we had the Saxon Motorsport BMW once again taking the honours. But GTO, uh, we had the McLaren Can-Am of Paul Bailey and Ross Wiley, who had changed cars on the Saturday. They'd been in the Brabham BT62, but had changed cars for the Sunday. So I'm not going to go through all the classes and where the standings are because, quite frankly, it's something that I would certainly read better than taking audibly. But overall, it does mean that Lucky Kira and David McDonald are leading overall standings in GT Cup in the Race Lab Ferrari 488 Challenge. That looks to be number 247 with Steve Burgess and Ben Dimmock in the Radical RXC for Raw Motorsport in second. Third, we've got James Wallace and Sam Mayer-Lockman in the Porsche Cayman 718 RS Club Sport for Veluga Racing. That's the number 50. Simon Orange and Michael O'Brien in the Orange Racing powered by JMH20, number 67 McLaren 720S, GT3 are in fourth overall, and Morgan Tilbrook and Marcus Clutton in the Enduro Motorsport number 66 McLaren 720 are in 5th. There's a very brief rundown of GT Cup. We'll have more after the next round which takes place in June. British GT News. So British GT, then, we're going to have to go a little bit forward before we go backwards, before we go back forwards again, and we'll explain this as we go along, no doubt. Basically, Nick's trying to be the next Doctor Who and trying to go all wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey on us. I do like me a good TARDIS. And the reason I say that is we're going to, first of all, we're talking about news relating to the next round at Donington Park. And this is that we've got a driver change in a McLaren. Um, Jamie Stanley has uh, has a pretty good excuse. I'll give him that one for not attending. Uh, he is at his brother's wedding this coming weekend, which means that they've had to arrange another driver. And, you know, short notice, they're not going to get anybody as a driver McLaren, are they? So No, no, they might as well give you the job. I'm available. I've got a racing suit. They've got to lend me a helmet. Please, please, please. <laughs> but no, they haven't given you the job. Oh. No, um, they, they, they've gone to somebody that's that's got a bit more McLaren racing pedigree in, in British GT. And instead of hinting and hinting and hinting, shall we just say it's Rob Bell? Yeah, I would. <laughs> So, yeah, Rob Bell in the Fox Motorsport McLaren standing in for Jamie Stanley. I can't see any badness about this, apart from the fact we've not got Jamie. Yeah, I mean, it's great to see Rob back, Mm -hmm. Um, even if it is just for the 
one round. But um, obviously, it's a car that he's familiar with, and Fox are doing pretty well so far. So it's definitely not going to hurt them. Yeah, um, and it's it's also going to give Nick Halstead the best possible chance of a strong result in. Is it Leicestershire or is it Derbyshire or is it Nottinghamshire? <laughs> it's another circuit that's built on borders. Um, but in I Donington guess. Park. I was going to say it depends where you are at the time, doesn't it? Not quite. I don't think the border actually goes through the circuit like it does at Silverstone. I don't know on that but, one. But, but uh, as I say at Silverstone, the two different pit builders are in two different counties. Yeah, well, we talked about that last time. <laughs> yeah. <so>. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But yeah, so. Welcome back. Shame it's a one-off. Good to have you back, Mr. Bell. You want to show us what you can do? Indeed. We do have another driver change uh, for the upcoming race. This one mm. is not necessarily a one-off, uh, but the kind of headline news of this is that Jamie Caroline and Ram Racing have parted ways. Uh, the quite brief statement that was put out by Ram is that Caroline and Ram Racing have parted ways after a difference in opinion over how best to move forward with this year's programme. The team would like to wish Caroline the best of luck with his future racing activities. And Jamie Caroline's brief statement was even briefer and was basically goodbye and thanks for all the fish. It was, it was very, very brief indeed, but very polite. So there's, there's something that's gone on behind the scenes here, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, we're not ones for speculating, at least on air. Um, <laughs> I'm sure Nick will bend my ear with theories. Oh, yeah. I'm a, I'm a proper conspiracy theorist off air. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I will say, it is very, to me, it is very coincidental that this was announced within 24 hours piece of news. So that does mean that there is a spare seat in the Ram Racing Mercedes uh, for the rest of the season and it may or may not be filled uh, by the driver that's replacing Caroline uh, this coming weekend. Now that driver isn't necessarily familiar in British GT but as Nick will uh, talk about his knowledge of him that driver is Lissy DePole. Yeah um, the hero of the Fanatec GT World Challenge Europe Sprint Cup powered by AWS or presented by AWS or whatever it is uh, from Brands Hatch where he scored his his maiden win in GT3 machinery racing for AF Corsa on say the the two one hour race format same as British GT Sprint format but in, in the international stage there previously we've had him in on the British GT package. Uh, 2020, he was seventh, I believe, in BRDC British Formula 3. And last year, he finished third in what was the BRDC British Formula 3 Championship, um, but became GB3 halfway through the season. So he's no stranger to the paddock. He's just stranger to Mercedes AMG GT3 and stranger to Ram Racing. So as Nick said, uh, we've done a little bit of time skipping in our news 
And that's because the results for Alton Park and Silverstone have now been finalised and made official as the appeal by Ram Racing to the National Court relating to the second race at Alton Park has now been heard and decided upon. Um, and their appeal was upheld. That has meant that there's been amendments to it. Uh, Nick was expressing his frustration that the amendments were made and there was no record of what was there before. Yeah, they should leave the provisional results in when they issue the final. They should, they should leave them, even if it's an appendices that they add to the end of the PDF book where every every page of timing and scoring from the weekend is kept. They they should save so so that we can go back and reference what so we can go back and reference what the result was before the judicials changed it. Yeah. I mean it is a little bit complicated, so I would direct you to go and read the article on BritishGT.com under the news which explains what changes have gone into effect and who's been affected by it. Uh, but the National Court's judgment was that pit stop time penalties should not have been applied post-race. Um, we will come on in a second to talk about what's happened as a result of that. Uh, but what are your thoughts on this first off, Nick? Um, I will be honest, I'm finding it very difficult to remain calm about this because I'm actually quite angry at what's transpired. Um, I mean, first of all, as I was saying very briefly in the last episode, this championship has a rule for what happens when a red flag comes out during a mandatory pit. That is, A, quite rare in motorsport, and B, very far-sighted of them. That rule contains the line that further instructions will be given by the race director. Which basically means that Peter Daly can decide that cars will start in different orders. Or Peter Daly could decide that cars will start from the pit lane. Or he could decide that every car will start with the driver wearing their underwear on their head. It's completely in his gift what that means. So, whilst yes, under the rules... There is nothing in these rules that says that success seconds can be applied post-race. That line says that the race director can do what the hell he wants. And it's the only fair way to do it. Now, having had a bit of a look around at reactions, there are some mixed reactions. Some people are pleased with it. Some people are quite vocal against it. Uh, For me, I can kind of see both sides. The thing that I don't suppose it baffles me a little bit, but what I have noticed and Nick pointed out to me a couple of days ago is that potential loophole has immediately been closed. Yes, it was in the um, in the bulletin boards for Silverstone. Before we got to Silverstone, they had amended one of the rules. I've got it here. Uh, rule 1.6.7. Uh, which says uh, success time will be allocated to drivers finishing the top three places, um, but then goes on to state an exception that should the pit stop not take place for any re- relevant round for any reason, except the competitor ignoring the pit stop obligation, then in the interest of sporting fairness, success time will be allocated, uh, still be allocated 
that added to the race duration post-race and in the results of the race in which the pit stop should have taken place. Um, so that's basically unless the car ignores the pit window, um, at which point they'll be subject to other penalties anyway. Um, that probably disqualified from the race for not complying with the, the key regulations. Um, but for, if for any reason the race director says, look, let's, let's not do pit stops this time. It's going to be too much bloody hassle. Let's just sort everything out as we did this time, sort everything out under red flag and then go racing again. The regulations now say that points will be, that, that success seconds will be added to the race time. And that was completely in response to this appeal by Ram Racing. Yeah. Now, as I said, the results of Alton Park were obviously affected quite significantly um, and amendments were made. There wasn't as much of a knock-on effect at Silverstone because, obviously, with everything in contention, there were no success seconds added to any of the mandatory pit stops through the race. Um, They were added retrospectively following the decision and bulletin. Um, It did only account for one real change, and we'll come on to that when we discuss the race shortly. Um, I think it's good that there is some clarification going forwards. I'm not entirely sure that it needed to be quite as black and white specified, as Nick said. A little bit of discretion is in the interest of fairness, in my opinion. Um, you can sit and account for every eventuality. And I think I said this previously when I've been talking with you, Nick, mm-hmm. a lot of rules are created off the back of something, mm-hmm. which is why you get, you know, warning, coffee is hot because people clearly don't realize that and then spill it down themselves, which leads to warnings. But you can't account for every single eventuality and when we had the pit stop at Alton Park I was really surprised to find that there was a rule for this because it's like this can't be a situation that's happened before and I think it probably may have happened at some point before which is why there's a rule to start with see the other thing here is a motorsport rule book is it says by saying what you will do, it's saying what you can't do. Yeah? Um, and you see it more in, in open formula, like Formula One. But that's what I'm saying about yeah. there's there's a level in, of implicitness in there. Yeah. You shouldn't have to specify in black and white the mm. whole rigid series of outcomes. Um, mm. You know, if it was a children's playground, mm. that's one thing. because three, four-year-olds, you do have to say, yes, you can do this. No, you can't do that. That's not allowed, but you can do that. And you have to be that rigid, but, you know, we're adults. And there is a modicum of common sense, if nothing else. Yeah. and Or should be. Yeah, I get exactly what you're saying. And I just, this never should have happened and it never should have been allowed to happen. 
Ram Racing should not have been given leave to appeal this to the National. <sighs> because it's, it's making a mockery of racing. And as I said to you, this is, this is Karen syndrome. This is, this is, this is, this is, this is Karen syndrome. This is, and to take your school playground analogy, this is a race happened on sports day. Mummy wasn't happy with the result. So she's appealed to the headmaster to get the result overturned. And it's, I'm sorry, a worthy winner won, but now he didn't. Well, now they didn't. Okay. And every, every other competitor, everybody else in the paddock was perfectly happy with this. There's, there will be forever be an asterisk on this on this championship if Ram Racing win it this year, and that will be one in the court and it was one on the track, and that is a crying shame for the championship. So, I guess we'd really like to know what your thoughts are on this whole situation. So, let us know on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pigeon, email. We have access to all of them. So, and if you actually manage to send me a pigeon, I'll be really impressed. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about Silverstone next. For all the latest news from sports car and endurance racing around the world, visit thecheckeredflag.co.uk slash sportscars. With expert coverage of the World Endurance Championship, Porsche One Make Racing, the world of SRO Racing and Genetis, TCF Sportscast is your one-stop shop for GT and prototype news. Follow at TCF Sportscast on Twitter and get your latest stories direct to your feed today. Okay. Silverstone. Not a lot happened at the first corner. Lots happened at the seventh corner. Nothing happened for the rest of the three hours. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose that's one way to put it. Um, so, just as a reminder for anyone uh, needing it, it was a three-hour race in the Silverstone 500. Uh, three mandatory pit stops through the race, and a hundred minutes maximum drive time. Yeah. This and becomes relevant for things that happened. Yeah, and just to. Uh, to clarify what I said there and to, uh, to show how diplomatic Sarah can be, Sarah puts down here that it was not the most exciting race in the world. My ter- I termed it as flat-out boring. I fell asleep three times trying to rewatch it. <laughs> You're making me sound like I thought it was boring. That's not what I said. The full point of what I said was it wasn't the most exciting race in the world after a dramatic start mm-hmm. which I think is fair but which is what I just said what we did have was a lot of penalties and a lot of infringements through the race I know my fingers are still recovering <laughs> um, so I generally live tweet everything myself Nick will occasionally jump in if he has an interesting Bit of knowledge from the British GT encyclopedia he keeps in his brain somewhere. And you can tell when this happens by the fact that spelling goes out the window and so do hashtags. 
Nick had to jump on to help me deal with the sheer amount of things that were happening. So it's probably not fair to say that nothing happened. There was a lot happening because I was still busy through that. But we had so many track limits warnings, so many penalties for track limits and collisions and other things um, that it did take two of us, which is the first time that's really happened. So I will grant you that. What I will say is, yes, there were diamonds in this, but you really had to mind. There, there was little sparkly bits seeded throughout the race, but only small sparkly bits. Not very often. <laughs> because I, I, I'm not lying when I said I fell asleep three times trying to rewatch this race. I wonder how much of that, though, is related to the fact that the start was as messy as it was. Mm. Yeah, let's let, let, let's talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> she the, says that she's trying to move yeah. the conversation along. <laughs> the start itself was the cleanest I've ever seen a British GT start. Unfortunately, when they got round to the other star finish three, <laughs> um, just after pit in for the wing at, uh, at Vale and Club, um, Richard Neary and James Cottingham were having a bit of a battle. Um, one ran the other out of road. Well, Neary went up round the outside. Yeah. Well, it's... Neary was inside into. Vale, he went up around the outside to get the inside line into the next corner. But along the way, there was contact, which caused James Cottingham to have a wee bit of a spin. Unfortunately, Ian Loggy was behind at this time, saw the spin happening, tried to dodge and missed. Um, and there was damage to three Mercedes. Two of them made it back to the pits under their own power, um, but needed time to be repaired. And the other one, this is the number four, the um, the Hogmania car, as you put it, uh, which was... A bit well, I didn't thank Tom for that. Yeah, yeah but you ran with it. <laughs> um, was a bit more Hulk smashed, wasn't it? Um, it was. Large parts of the back end of this car were not present when it made it back to the pits three hours later. Yeah, so that was the end of the two C's number four race. Mm -hmm quite early on. Uh, the WPI Motorsport Ian Loggy car had quite a lengthy pit stop. I think they were in there for a good 20, 25 minutes repairing yep. the damage to the car, uh, but they mm. got it back out. You don't rip the arse end off a Mercedes-Benz without doing severe damage to the car that you're driving. Yeah, but it came back out. Mm. I mean, it got back under its own power, which is impressive enough. Sam, Sam Neary, Richard Neary obviously fell quite far down the order as a result as well. Um, he did then, pretty much to the back of the field, in fact. Yeah. Um, and quite impressed by how well the number eight car held up. Because it was only really a crack to the front wing, wasn't it? But we've kind of worked out that car is semi-indestructible. <laughs> Human granite, that thing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, the only GT3 car or GT car that I've seen that appears to be stronger than that was the Dodge Viper GT LM car that raced in America. 
which T-boned a concrete wall and drove away. That's impressive. <laughs> Give it that. Uh, went off at the tail end of Road America one year, T-boned a concrete wall and just selected reverse and drove away. Headlights still worked. <laughs> now, this wasn't the only drama that happened at the start of the race. No, but we don't kind of really know what happened to the other two cars that were delayed, do we? Uh, well, there were more than two cars because we've mm. not even got to GT4 yet. But in terms of GT3, uh, the 76, number 76, mm. uh, car with Mia Fluid in, ended up with a wing hanging off. Yeah, it looked more like that supercar thing with the wing that tilts, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, which, you know, uh, not necessarily most conducive for, <laughs> for airflow, <laughs> very least. Mm. Uh, that car ended up being called into the pits via black and orange flag. Mm-hmm. Clearly not able to continue in its present state. But fair play to me for trying, <laughs> um, because it must have been like formula drift through some of them corners. Yeah, don't envy that. Uh, but again, got back mm-hmm. into the pits under its own steam. Yep, took a little while to get repaired, but did come back out with a, with a new rear wing on it, didn't it? It did. Any idea why the Optimum Motorsport car, the number 30, this is a round-by-round car, ended up facing back towards maggots from Stowe? Not sure. We didn't see it. Now, I know there was contact between a GT4 car and a GT3 car. Now, it could be that all three of these were Mm -hmm. involved in the same impact, but we just don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, We know there was contact between GT4 and GT3, but... uh, from penalties that came out later. <laughs> yes, I've uh, I've got the results book for Silverstone open and the number of um, asterisks at the bottom of it with different penalties and things like that that have been applied post-race. Um, it's quite alarming. Yeah. So I think we've probably covered mm. the the starts um so that gave us a battle for the front between the barwell car and redline racing who had taken a bit of advantage of the rough and tumble yeah um seasoned lamborghini campaigners versus people that have at, at that point had raced a lamborghini for two hours um and the red line racing car was not letting Adam Ballon get away, was it? Uh, certainly not. It was no. very close. No. There was some definite paint rubbing. Yeah, which got a stop and go penalty, and I'm I'm not happy with that. It's, I mean, I'm not going. Oh, well, there shouldn't be a penalty for it. I'm, I'm not. I'm not sort of the whole. I'm happy with the same way. I'm happy with the whole red racing legal situation. But I think, to a certain extent, Robin is racing, and that was a fair. Yeah, I think it's it's a tough call, mm. um, and I guess in the moment it could go either way. Mm-hmm. It was aggressive, but I don't um, necessarily think it was that aggressive. I'd go robust more than aggressive. I th- I, I think it was pushing it but on the safe side of the line you raise another point which is words have their opposite they are two it takes two to tango 
Absolutely. And that's kind of my point. They were both yeah. buying for the lead, therefore being yeah. aggressive. Yeah. To me, at yeah. least, is absolutely yeah. fine. And as long as, as it's, yeah. you know, not yeah. too far over mm-hmm. the line. Yeah. And aside from the Barwell car being a little blacker and the red line car being a little greener, it was no harm, no foul. As I say, there could be something seen that we didn't have access to. Mm. And on another day, it might have gone the other way. Yeah. So a little bit harsh, possibly on the on that penalty, uh, which then obviously moved that out down the line. Uh, but the other car that took advantage of the carnage at the start was the Garage 59 round-by-round entry. Yeah. Um, started 10th. Have finished the first lap in third, or was it a little bit longer than that? I think it was probably a little bit longer, but it didn't take long for it to be in third and mm. heading towards second. So, yeah, this was Marvin Kirschhofer sharing with Alex West, um, who obviously would have had the wheel at the start, Alex being the, the amateur in the car. And he made some serious hay where the sun was shining. Um, obviously, he was. Aiden abetted by confusion and carnage around him at the start, uh, or round by the wing anyway, uh, which would have helped him grow. But quite how he got so far so quickly, I, I don't really understand, I will be honest. Yeah, just and say, all of a sudden he was in third and hmm? and going for it, which, you know, best thing to to do if you've got the possibility to take advantage of it do it um and they did the next notable thing that happened and this is where we get into kind of the slightly less exciting aspects of the race uh was i think probably we had a bit of fallout from the carnage at the start because we did have a few punctures through the race and they caused damage yeah, particularly for for Sean Valsaudi, wasn't it? Didn't it rip out a brake line or something? It did damage to the wheel arch, and I think it did do something with the brake line in a while, but it came in with the thing of, oh, we've got a puncture, mm. and then the techs looked at it and went, actually, it's a bit more damaged than we mm. thought. This is going to take a bit of yep. work. And then under further Somebody examination... Somebody get the jacks out, yeah. Um, it was deemed that damage was too great, which led to the Audi retiring just coming up to the halfway point of the race, which was really unfortunate Um, because I, for one, was quite keen to see how the Audi did in a long endurance race because we know it was quick. On the bright side, you'll get to see that this weekend coming. Exactly. (laughs) So... You know, not too disappointed, but obviously that's got to be sh- absolutely gutting for Sean and for Adam. Yeah. yeah, I mean, bear in mind they left Alton Park in the lead of the championship. Exactly. Mm. But yeah, there was a lot of, and I think it must have been picking up shards of carbon fibre from that impact at the Vale and Club. Yeah, I mean, yes, it's new tyres, but you know, we don't. Mm. No, but just in terms of Mm. how these happened, to me, that says there's Mm. something 
on the track. I mean, the other thing is potentially the the curbs, Silverstone, but they tend to be fairly easy on tyres because Formula One ride the curbs there. Yeah, that's possibly. But you use a lot more curb at Silverstone than you do at any other circuit. That's also a possibility, and I think it would be interesting to do it. What would be interesting to do at some point is possibly have a look, because obviously, as we've said, we had a lot of track limits warnings. Yep. Um, it might be interesting to have a look and see if the cars affected by punctures were particularly uh, receiving of those. I don't think the Balfour car was. I don't seem to remember mm. it coming up. So it, to but me, the- seems more debris. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Balf car was slowed quite early, wasn't it? The track limits things. I mean, f- first of all, there were lots and lots of first and second warnings for track limits. Um, it's worth noting that they give the warning. And I believe, I'll go looking for the rule eventually that proves it, but it's a case of each car gets a certain number of warnings per hour, which is why I spent a lot of time typing Third warning, second warning, third warning, etc., etc., for a car that never actually got a penalty as a result of exceeding track limits. But that's because they got to the end of the end of the hour and it reset. Um, but yes, I spent literally two and a half hours. I went out and did some sound recording onto the balcony. I went out for a bit of a a bit of nicotine top up, and that other than that, I was sat at my laptop typing hashtag. Track limits watch, hashtag headmaster's office report, um, et cetera, et cetera, throughout, throughout the race. Um, and it just went on and on and on. It, it didn't, it didn't stop. So towards the end of the race, we had a battle for the lead. Now it's worth probably saying that Barwell stayed out the front pretty much the whole race. Um, towards the end, the battle for the lead was between the Barwell Lamborghini and the Garage 59 car. And fair play. I say fair play to, to Adam Bowen and Sandy Mitchell. Uh, a more experienced am, not many of them out. And Sandy is a Lamborghini factory driver. Just, be, just, just because we found him, we trained him, doesn't mean he's not world class. I'm, Almost doing there what I berated Adams for last time, aren't we? In that I was up against Marvin Kerfman or Kershaw. Oh, must got to be good to beat Marvin. Marvin's a factory driver. <laughs> uh, I, I'm glad that you're aware of it. Um, so, yeah, the end of the race, GT3 wise, we had a good battle for the lead going on the Barwell Lamborghini uh, versus the Garage 59 car. Uh, some great driving, and obviously with a three-hour race, you've got strategy playing a part in that as well. Um, Bowell stuck to the guns and they won out, which gives us our one-two. Optimum uh, recovered quite well yeah. from their initial spin. Uh, they ended up third. Yeah, but with two hours, 59 minutes and 20 seconds to recover, it's it's, it's a lot easier to do. Yeah, but they kind of made their way back up pretty Steadily but quietly. Um, I certainly didn't necessarily realise that got into P3 as much as I did. Now, part of that, I think, though, is because I'd given up 
trying to keep an eye on fastest laps and things because you were dealing with all of that. Um, and normally that gives me an indication as to at least who's moving up through the ranks. Yeah. And, um, I mean, Ockman set their fastest lap five laps away from the end. Yeah. Which so. would make sense because mm. they'll be running low on fuel. But by that time, the garage 59 car would already set a lap time faster. So it wouldn't have shown up as a fastest lap and I wouldn't even notice it either. So. That's fair. Mm. Uh, Redline Racing came in fourth. Their penalty earlier in the race didn't set them back too much. Now, finishing fifth on the road was the Team Abacar. Um, they made a brilliant recovery, having been pushed right to the back of the field after that start. Um, especially a little bit more so since we know that Richard Neary's had a lot of problems with his back recently, um, which led to mm -hmm. them pulling out of the GT Cup round previously. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he did the absolute bare minimum in terms of drive time as well. Yeah, which I kind mm -hmm. of expected um, from mm -hmm. what had been said, that his back was still troubling him. Obviously, we hope that that gets sorted out. Back problems are not fun. Oh, God, no. Unfortunately, all that hard work and some brilliant driving from both Richard and Sam was undone as they ended up disqualified for the most gutting of reasons as someone took a door off under Park Ferme conditions. The last time they were disqualified from British GT round, it was because they broke Park Ferme. But that was a deliberate decision. And that at least had the benefits of being a week later. Yeah. When, when British GT had been dragging their heels on getting the, get, getting the technicals done. Yeah. So we could. And they, this. Ha they, 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 they had to make that choice. This time, they know the penalty. Everybody in the team knows the penalty of messing about with that car before yeah. the, the scrutineering guys are taking a look at it. And if taking a door off doesn't count as messing about with a car, what does? Yeah. The mind boggles. I say it's absolutely gutting given how good a race they had in the end, given that early off and making their way back up right from the back of the field. Uh, but they weren't the only victims of bad luck. And no. this is what you're alluding to. And I don't think you knew about this, did you? I didn't know. I, I, I think I heard it in the back of my head, but I'm busy writing that another car had been caught transgressing track limits at a corner for the 700th time or something. Yeah, Enduro Motorsport were also the victims of some really bad luck. Uh, their third pit stop... Did they go off prematurely? <laughs> Look at their sponsor. Sorry. <laughs> Do you know what? I hadn't even thought about that. That's pretty well done. <laughs> <laughs> and I can tell from the look on your face that you're proud of that one. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah enduro got to their third pit stop they were having a pretty reasonable race um to be fair their fire extinguisher went off yes. uh, which set them off set them back quite away and they were actually disqualified uh which i think is probably what nick was alluding to is the un unfairness oh, this is harsh <laughs> bear in mind 
But the reason they couldn't complete the race was also the reason that they couldn't complete their driver change. And it happened whilst they were trying to do that last driver change. Yeah, absolutely. It's really bad luck. Um, but they were actually disqualified for completing 70% of the distance without serving their mandatory driver changes. Um, I'm not 100% sure exactly where their third pit stop came, but I would say it was probably about bang on that 70%. As I say, because they're disqualified, it doesn't say how many laps they did. Yeah. So shall we talk about GT4? Yes. So we had a little bit of a similar start to GT3. Nice clean start. Mm-hmm. And then we had contact between pole sitters, Stella Motorsport, and the R racing Aston Martin, which served to push Richard Williams down the pack and towards as, the back. <laughs> and as we know from Alton Park, if they sort of fall down on the first lap, they can't get back at all, can they? No, absolutely. Uh, we also had a bit of a pushback from the Mustang as well. Uh, so the Academy Motorsport number 61. Um, again, not entirely sure which GT3 car contact was made with, but this was where we had that contact, whether it was the 76, whether it was the on there. But they ended up a bit further back down the pack from where they started as well, which meant that Will Burns came out on top. Um, and all of a sudden, Century Motorsport are leading the race in the yeah. number 90. The question here I've got is, what happened to the Voluga Porsche? Because the number 51 car was ahead of the Century car on the grid. Um, they had a good race overall, but early on they were they, 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 were, they, were, they were leapfrogged by Will Burns. Who then obviously everybody else got themselves out of his way. I don't have an answer for you. Mm. Um, I mean, my notes on that, we had a long opening stint for Ross Wiley. Mm-hmm. Um, and he got the car into the lead towards the middle of the race and then led for a decent portion. Um, so I think he was probably up there and amongst it for sure. We also had the Supra. So it's a gazoo racing. They were showing pretty good pace at the start as well. Uh, Jordan Collard had that car going, and again we had a puncture. Was it that? Was that the one that that did a line in the rear wheel arch as a result? The 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 the, the, the problem the problem I've got here is I'm remembering that a red and white car had a puncture and damaged some of the brake lines or something in the wheel arch. The problem is the two ones we've got notes of here that had punctures are both red and white, so I don't know which car it was. But, um, yeah, um, as we covered in GT3, uh, punctures were basically a fact of life for, for the first sort of half hour, 45 minutes, weren't they? Yeah, and it just seems unfortunate that, you know, it's cars that we're wanting to see what they can do. We've said before that the, the Supra's had a couple of seasons now to mm-hmm. really get embedded and it was showing really good promise last round again a little bit unlucky in how it came mm-hmm. out but it was showing good pace it was up there and just really bad luck for Toyota Z racing it's unfortunate that it's these guys again that have been set back you were saying to me that it's the guys that we want to see do well that keep getting knocked back. 
It's not so much the guys that we want to see do well, because as I've said before, you know, complete fencer, I want everyone to do well. Um, ultimately, someone's got to win, but, you know, I want to see every team doing as well as they can. But having followed the Supra since it's come into the championship, it's had some really bad luck. And, you know, I really want to see it have some good luck. And it just doesn't seem to be getting there, getting it. And we can't even blame it on team now, either, can we? Because, yes, while the Supra's always been run by Speedworks, I'm sat here thinking that over the years, it's been almost like a Toyota curse because the GT86 that raced before, that never had the, the results that it deserved. It's, it's almost like Toyota a curse in this championship. Um, conspiracy theory started. As we said. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was just, again, debris. Who knows? Yeah. But it was bad enough that that was the end of the race for the, the number 48. Yeah, which, I mean, started a fair ways back in the pack as well. It started in ninth place, which meant they had driven through all the debris from the GT3 couple. And all the debris from the GT4 buffle. So if anybody was going to get a puncture, it's sort of, yeah, the number 48 backwards on the grid are the ones that are in the firing line for picking up, picking up trash and detritus. Yeah. So as we said, we'd got the Century Motorsport lead in the race. But Will Burns wasn't getting it all his own way. It took a while. There's a bit of a long-range grappling, and, and that's what I do like about these longer races. Um, the the standard two-hour endurance format is pretty good. But that's nice and easy problem, isn't it? You take two hours, you divide it by two, and you give an hour to each driver. Whereas with this, you've got, you need to do two pit stops to get through to the end but you have to do three by regulation. So you've got to chop, you've got to chop this up differently. You can't just run for an hour, change drivers, run for an hour, change drivers, run home. Um, so it took a while for us to see that working its way up the order, a little bit sneaky, sneaky, was the Newbridge car. Yeah, but this was always going to happen as well. Because aside from the fact you've got super experienced pro Darren Turner in the car mm-hmm. um, and Matt Topham, who's really showing his uh, cojones as an am. Yes, but he's only in his second season. I know, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. He's showing he's got yeah. some some mad skills, as you would put it. Yeah, I, I know that, that is a complete flip based on what I was saying last time <laughs> or saying when we previewed in the yeah elder statesman of the championship because he's in his second season <laughs> but unlike for all these silvers where their second season in GT4 is their eighth season of racing <laughs> Matt Topham is in like his third season of racing and his second season in anything GT so but this is kind of what I'm getting at because mm-hmm. we've got all these silver pairings who of course have time disadvantage because they're a silver pairing. So to some extent, the Newbridge car 
was always going to have advantage of that, as would all the other Pro-Am cars. But they really capitalised on it. Uh, they took full advantage of the fact that they'd got 14 seconds less um, on there, which saw them move up through the ranks. Yeah, they did sort of leap forward. Um, and towards the end of the race, they leapt right to the front. Yeah. Um, because it was the, because it wasn't num- that number 27, which was the first GT4 car to take the checkered flag. But yeah, it's just say it's endurance racing. It's over the next couple of weeks, we've got 24 hours of Nürburgring and 24 hours of Le Mans. And it's great time because you get to watch things happen in the first hour of a race that aren't going to resolve themselves until the same time tomorrow. It's brilliant. Yes, <laughs> but you're digressing from the topic, which is yeah. British GT. So take your endurance fanboy hat off. <laughs> Let's get back to the race. You were talking and saying what happened to Veluga. Well, they had yeah. a great opening stint. As I said, yeah. Ross Wiley got the car into the lead through the middle of portion of the race. Yeah. Um, I think they timed their strategy quite well. Yeah, I mean, my, my, my question of what happened to Veluga was the straightaway. If you looked at it on paper from where everybody qualified, Veluga should have been in the lead at the end of lap one rather than 90. Uh, over the course of the race, yeah, as we, we established in Alton Park, this new Porsche is a bit of a weapon. Mm. Um, and it continued to show that, but I think the Sentry boys have got themselves a little bit more to grips with the tyres, new tyres and whatever, because... They were much stronger in Northamptonshire than they were in Cheshire, mm. um, which is potentially worrying for everybody else in the championship <laughs> because uh, I think everybody else was like, oh, thank God Nathan's guys haven't got it right for once. <laughs> um, yeah, had a good battle um, looking for third place, but didn't quite make it stick, did they? Well... Here begins the tale of the end of the race. Let me point out that on the road, they didn't quite make it stick. Yeah. So, as we've already alluded to, we had plenty of track limits, plenty of penalties. Um, But on the road, it was pretty solid, straightforward racing. Cars went ahead of each other. Cars went behind each other. Um, Newbridge took first place ahead of the century number 90 on the road. We then had Stella taking third, leaving the Luger in four. The Luger in four. However. But, yes. <laughs> somewhere along the lines, the number 90 had a bit of a collision with someone, not entirely sure who, uh, which saw them get a 40-second post-race penalty, dropping them to fifth. So that position that Veluga had been battling for so hard through the race mm. of third, they got. They got their overall podium. Yeah. Then it's... a man in a wig lo- uh, lowered a hammer. <laughs> 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 well, this pushed Academy into fourth, who were after the early spin and pushed down the pack. Uh, both Matt Cowley and Marco Signoretti made a really good recovery. And again, it was one of these kind of quiet, progressive assaults which saw them making their way back up. And they had some really good pit stop strategy as well. GT4 
was a little bit more spread out in terms of their pit stops. We had quite a few clumps of GT3 cars coming in together on there. And then we had the two century cars with the 90 having been demoted yeah. down into fifth and the number nine car taking sixth place. Um, it doesn't and end there. Only, ju- only just missing out as well. It was only by yeah. three seconds. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. not much. And of course, it doesn't end there. So we have those results. Then we have the national court hearing results. So Stella had an additional 20 seconds added to their time. The number 90 car had 10 seconds added, and the number 27 had 15 seconds added for their finishing positions in round two of the championship. Yeah, but the only place that changed as a result of that was Mm. the Stella car, which saw that drop down into third place. Yeah. So the Veluga Racing Porsche moved up to second. Which is kind of where I expected to be at the end of lap one, really. So they got there. It just took them three hours. (laughs) All turned out all right. (laughs) Well, it just took them three or four days, didn't it? (laughs) 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 They got most most of the way there in three hours and had to hang around for a bit. (laughs) So it does mean that going into this weekend, obviously the results on the road don't reflect the results on paper. So... Mm. There's no change to the success penalties for Donington for GT3 because those results were not affected. So mm. Barwell first, Redline second, and Assetto take 10 seconds. Velu- Veluga and Stella swap their penalties. So yeah. 15 and 10 seconds respectively. Yeah. Right. So are you confused yet? <laughs> I was confused when I woke up this morning. This has just finished me off. <laughs> um, yeah, quite how we've managed to take so long talking about this, I don't know. Because, as I say, I, I look back at it, I, and I look back at it with the benefit of the notes. And I still don't see how all of this happened in what I watched. Because I remember covering it as, as live. We're cover, covering it live. And all I could do was watch the timing screen and type out, right, this penalty, this warning this that, and the other and it was a constant stream of typing then i say i sat down three times to watch it back and woke up after the race <laughs> twice it took me three attempts to watch this race and it's not often i fall asleep in the middle of a british gt race other gt racing series yeah but not british gt um but a lot did happen it was just doubling under the surface and Stuff that you really need a timing screen to follow, isn't it? Yeah, or as we've said before, kind of multiple views because you can't always see what's going on with other people when you're focused on the one thing. And I think you've kind of seen that from the other side of it as well because focusing on the timing screens and just the timing screens, you're not necessarily seeing what's just happening with the race. And as I said, I think because I was paying less attention to the timing screens because you'd got that, mm. I wasn't necessarily seeing everything that was also going on because, you know, you see the improvements through sectors. You see where people have improved on their lap times. So you can get a sense of, oh, well, actually, that car's now lapping three, three seconds quicker than it was two or three minutes ago. 
or two or three laps ago? Is it that it's got through a bunch of traffic or is it running low on fuel? And you can kind of get a sense of, right, they're going to likely be coming in for their pit stop soon because they're getting quicker and quicker. Yeah. And you kind of lose that. Not an easy job, but... Yeah, and we get another chance to practice it this weekend coming, don't we? Which we'll get to after we take a look at the national niche. And now, international news. International news then. And as we have been doing for the last few episodes, let's go straight to IMSA. IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, and the massively long-winded name this time, is the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship Lexus Grand Prix of Mid-Ohio. So obviously, Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course, Absolutely lovely little venue, somewhere in Ohio, uh, 2.4 miles long, and all of the classes were there this time. So in the top class DPI, race was run by the Konica Minolta Acura ARX 05 Acura DPI. Uh, Ricky Taylor and Felipe Albuquerque bought the number 10 car. Um, they finished ahead of the... And I don't actually have a gap here. All I have is fastest lap and the number of laps they did. Um, but they finished ahead of Tom Blomqvist and Oliver Jarvis in the Mayor Shank racing with Curb Agajanian Acura DPI, the number 60. So only two Acuras in the top class, and it was a 1-2 for the Honda brand. Uh, for the Cadillac DPIs then, Pipo Durrani and Tristan Nunez in the number 31 Wheel Engineering Cadillac, ahead of Albamba and Alex Lynn for Cadillac Racing. This was the number two car, the 0-2. Uh, and then Ranga van der Zander and Sebastian Bourdais in the number one car ahead of JDC Miller Motorsports uh, Cadillac DPI number five for Brits Richard Westbrook and Christian Otier. So all the British interests there. Saying that, Oliver Jarvis, second place. Uh, Alex Lynn in fourth. And then obviously the number five car in sixth place. LMP2 uh, were there. As we've established before, there isn't a whole lot of British interest in LMP2. Uh, the class was won by Juan Pablo Montoya and Henrik Hedman for Dragon Speed USA in an Orica LMP207. Uh, they were three laps off the overall, off, off, off the air. Shall I put my teeth back in? <laughs> they were three laps off the overall lead at the end of the race ahead of Jonathan Bomarito and Stephen Thomas in the PR1 Matheson Motorsports car. And I was just checking there and no, no British interest in that car. Third in class was Anders Fjordback and Dennis Anderson. Uh, again, Orica LMP207. All of the cars in P2 are Oricas. <laughs> Okay. Uh, Will Stevens, British driver, sharing with John Ferrano in the number eight Orica, finished fourth in class, 10th overall, had a Ryan DL um, and Dwight Merriman for Era Motorsports in the number 18. Ryan DL is a Scotsman, so British interest there. Elsewhere in the P2 class, not a lot to shout about if you're only following the Union flag. LMP3 was won by Colin Braun and John Bennett for Core Autosports, their Ligier JS P320. Uh, 
And again, another class where there is only one car present. So all the LMP3s are Ligier. Garrett Grist and Harry Ballach for Junior 3 racing. I've not seen that team name before. Uh, Finished second. And Gabby Chavez and Jarrett Andretti uh, in the Andretti run. Number 36 car finished third. British interest in this car, in this class. One quick check here. Nope, no British interest in the LMP3 class at all. So we're not going to go any further there. Got GTD, and I said we've got all classes present. Obviously, we haven't because we've got no GTD Pro. Um, now, my guess there is that GTD Pro doesn't come here because Corvette needs to go to Le Mans. They usually skip out a GTD, well, what was a GTLM round around Le Mans, so everybody's got time to do what they need to do. Winner in GTD. Uh, is Turner Motorsport BMW M4 GT3 of Robbie Foley and Bill Orbelin. Gives Bill Orbelin a win in every BMW GT car since the M3, I think. Um been saying that he won in the BMW LMP car back in back in the early noughties and, and that sort of thing as well. Bill Orbelin's been driving BMWs in America for a lot of years. Uh, second place is Brian Sellers and Madison Snow for Paul Miller Racing. So a BMW M4 GT3 1-2. And then Aaron Tillitz and Frankie Montecalvo in the Vassar Sullivan run Lexus RCF GT3, the number 12 car, rounded out the GTD podium. Looking down the list here, Stephen MacLear for um, Gilbert Kirchhoff Motorsports is a Mercedes AMG GT3. Sharing with Mike Skeen, the number 32 car, uh, finished 24th overall and 6th in class. Ahead of Jack Horsworth and Richard Highstand. Jack Horsworth, of course, British, in the second Vassar Sullivan run Lexus, the number 17. And then Maxime Martin and Raymond DeAngelis, Heart of Racing, Aston Martin Vantage GT3. Uh, finished in, that would put them in 8th place, wouldn't it? Looking further down the line here, 11th place in the class, the number 70 car, Jordan Pepper and Brendan Uribe, Inception Racing's McLaren 720S GT3. Uh, looks to be last of the cars running at the finish. Although, I think every car might actually have been running at the finish. Yeah, every car was running at the finish, it's just there were two LMP3 cars that were a bit down the order. So that is pretty much every car that finished. 31 cars entered into the race at Mid-Ohio. And when we get a break in the championship, because we will do, this one's going to go on until October. And when we get a break in the championship, we'll give you a championship update and see where the Brits are sitting in the championship rather than the results of individual races. The second race we're going to look at internationally here is the Liquamoli Bathurst 12 Hours. The 2022 round, um, first time it's run since COVID reared its ugly head and shut everything down. And a welcome return to the mountain, basically. Quite an interesting event, this one, because the Bathurst 12-hour has been, I mean, they've been doing 12-hour racing on the mountain in Bathurst for a number of years. And eventually the health and safety people are going to realize that we do it and shut it down because it is a bonkers place to go racing at five o'clock in the morning. 
and that's the other one of the other great things about this is that most races will start in the middle of the day or if it's a 12 hour race it might start at nine o'clock in the morning the australians do things a little bit different um and the race started at eight fifty sorry oh five fifteen um so it started at quarter past five in the morning and we had over an hour of darkness at the start of the race. And it was really interesting and really exciting. There's a number of reasons why we would cover this. But one of the main reasons is it's not just a standalone race on its own. It's the first round of a championship. Now, it's a championship that's run by the SRO. It is the Intercontinental GT Challenge. Uh, that series has been around for a wee while. Um, and the way that they've put this one together is they've not gone out and said, right, we're going to set up our endurance race in Australia and we're going to go and race there. Then we'll go for an endurance race in China and we'll go and race there. Then we'll set up an endurance race over here and, and this and that. But they've, they've gone to events on the whole that were already established and said, do you mind if you run your race and then we award, award some points um, for it? These are all races that use GT3 cars anyway. Um, so the races usually get a couple more entries and the SRO get themselves a championship. Now, obviously, with it being all over the world and when we get to the results of this race, you'll see that there is not a whole lot of British interest in this. Um, one of the main reasons for it being that if you wanted to race your car in New South Wales on the 13th to the 15th of May this year, you'd have needed to have been thinking about sending your car late November, early December last year. Sarah, would you have been booking flights to Australia six months ago? I don't think you could book a flight to Australia six months ago. I'm fairly so sure a... the borders were still closed. So there is an awful lot of international interest missing from the 20 car entry um and it's a 20 car entry which were primarily gt3 cars uh there are a couple of interesting cars unfortunately all down the bottom in the not classifieds uh there's a couple of marked cars australia um these are silhouette races basically they weld some scaffold pulled into the approximate shape of a car and hang body panels off it looks like a it looks pretty much like what I expect the new Mustang GT3 to look like, but it's not a Mustang GT3. It's scaffold pole with bodywork on it. Uh, there was also a single entry for a KTM GT2 car. This is the crossbow. Didn't have the world's best race. Managed uh, 38 laps, um, and the last classified runner managed 256. So um, not brilliant. Um, and we also had a single Mercedes GT4 car as well. Um, so that's five of the 20 entries that weren't going to be gunning for the, for the win anyway. All the way through the build-up to the, to the race, it's what is everybody, everybody going to do about taking the fight to these Audis? Audi was the most numerous manufacturer in the event. They out, outnumbered Mercedes by either one or two cars. Um, everybody else was a one or two car effort, basically. Uh, the other thing about this championship, by the way, is the manufacturers will nominate teams to score points on their behalf at each round. 
So Mercedes will have picked a couple of teams that are entered, specified them as their point scorers for the for the championship. Audi will have picked a couple. Um, I guess it would be the ones that have actually got Audi Sport in front of their name. Uh, fairly safe bet. Um, so a lot of these cars are actually scoring towards the entire championship, despite the fact they're only racing in a single round. And I do also like the fact with this that the event, it still looks like an Australian race, not an international one. But going to the results, and as I said, everybody looked at the race going into it thinking, right, how far behind these Audis is everybody else going to finish? Uh, And the answer is, in this case, minus one lap behind. because. The number 75 car, which took the win for Stoltz, Abel, Conrad, and Gounon. And yes, that is Jules Gounon of uh, British GT fame. Was the Sun Energy One Racing Mercedes AMG GT3. And Mercedes didn't just manage to beat Audi to the win. Mercedes locked out the podium. And winning at the mountain is hard. Locking out the podium is pretty much impossible. Second place on the podium was the number 91 car. This is Mercedes-AMG Teamcraft Bamboo. Uh, uh, Maro Engel, Daniel Junkadar, and Kevin Say. Obviously, Mercedes-AMG GT3. Ahead of the number 888. This is the 888 Race Engineering. Uh, Van Gisberg and Feeney and Ibrahim sharing a Mercedes-AMG GT3. And whilst it isn't the 888 that used to race in British GT and has raced in British touring cars and is a major engineering firm in the UK, there is a link between our 888 and 888 Racing Australia, who also run in the Aussie, to- Aussie touring car series as well. There's There's some sort of alliance or co-ownership or something going on there. So that's as close to a British GT team as you're going to find in this entry list. Uh, best of the Audis was a lap off the lead. Uh, Van der Linde, Berton and Schumacher sharing an Audi R8 Evo 2 for Audi Sport Team Valvoli. And this is a number 74 car. Um, you look down the entry list from here and like I say, not a whole load of British interest involved here. Uh, but you pick out some names. If you followed Australian motorsport at all, uh, Tony D'Alberto, big touring car driver over in over in Australia. Uh, Holdsworth, that name shouts at you from touring cars. Nick Perkat, David Russell, um, working our way down. We've got Walters, Reynolds, and then even even further down here, we've got Chaz Mostert shows up in one of the unfortunately unclassified cars as well. There's one other car here that I want to mention, and that is the car that finished in tenth place overall. Now, I wouldn't usually pick out a car finishing in 10th place with no British interest in a race like this, but this one deserves some serious mentioning. This is Taylor, Davison, Lowndes, and Emery. Um, And Davison, Lowndes, these are big names in Australian motorsport. In the 222 car, this is a Prostate Cancer Foundation entry of a Porsche 991.2 GT3 Cup car. So this is the Porsche Carrera Cup car, previous generation. So it's not running in the GT3 class. What it what it was doing is a beating a number of cars that were, but b raising money for prostate cancer charities in Australia. And over the course of the race, they managed to raise sixty thousand Australian dollars for prostate cancer research in in Australia. And I think that is 
well worth well worth a round of applause. So that's pretty much all we've got for you for this episode. Um, obviously, this weekend we've got uh, the Donington Park race, which is another three-hour endurance race. It's the closest thing to us as a local circuit, being just under an hour for us to get to. So we have certainty going into the race in terms of who's got what seconds. We know where people are stood in the championships. <laughs> and next episode, we will give a breakdown mm. of where we're at afterwards because we're mm. heading towards the midpoint of the season. Um, mm. Next GT Cup race is Snetterton, the 11th, 12th of June, uh, which I will do my best to watch. I will not be in the country, but joys of online uh, means that I should still be able to keep an eye. I just need to remember there's a time difference. <laughs> Um, and of course, if you're not able to get to Donington this weekend, you can follow all the action on the British GT Facebook page and also on the SRO's GT World YouTube channel. You can also follow along at, at BritSC Podcast on Twitter, where Sarah will be tapping away to keep you fully up to date on all the interesting stuff that happens on track. And then during the race, I shall no doubt be tapping away, keeping you up to date with all the boring stuff that's happening in Stewards Run. And then, of course, during the sessions which are not televised, which are the practice sessions and the warm-up, you can always follow in sound only. If you look at the tsl-timing.com, uh, you can listen to the circuit commentary there as well. Just try and maintain your blood pressure. So that's it from us for this episode. Hope to see some of you at the weekend. If not, uh, do let us know if you are following along. Um, and hopefully... We'll say hello and talk to you there. Indeed. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to the British Sports Car Podcast. Don't forget to follow us on socials at BritSC Podcast. This podcast is a Storm Vixen created production in conjunction with RPS Driven Media.